0: I mean, for narrative purposes, imagine if after all the all the news that we've seen today, Rich, United actually lost to relegation-threatened Burnley.
1: Yeah, but this funny thing with the new United is that rather than sitting there moaning for half the match if United aren't playing very well, we just sit and wait for the win, don't we?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah Last 15-minute yeah. goals are us.
1: I know. There was, was just an unusual calm over me today, and it has been... For every game recently, except for uh, the Mourinho derby last week, obviously.
0: Oh yeah, I've calmed down quite a bit since that moment.
1: But yeah, United have become are becoming increasingly clutch, aren't they?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, nice. I do wonder how much of that is uh going to stick going into next season. But uh, before we get on to that, I think there's, there's plenty of other stuff to talk about, and there's also an introduction to me So let's begin with that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Red Voices Podcast home of the inducted member Manchester United team of the European Super League <laughs> feels weird to say but there we go we'll get to that in, in the meantime but regardless we've got the game against Granada the win against Burnley and United Women's 6-0 thrashing of Burnley women away uh, earlier on this afternoon to discuss but before all of that Richard how are you doing? alright, I'm not too bad, how are you? Oh pretty gravy I mean given the fact that this is the second time in three weeks that United men and women have conspired to face the same team it went a lot better than it did last time uh, mm-hmm. A lot easier for both the women and in, in scoreline, at least better for the men. Um, I guess we start off with that uh, game against Granada. They are in the yep. week. Um, you know, I, I vaguely remember it, yeah. Uh, now, given the two-goal away lead that we had over Granada coming into the second leg at Old Trafford, uh, I mean, I, even with this United side, I guess there is a little bit of fear that we could collapse. I mean, Granada was so limited when we played them the week previously. You know, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't really see them. They didn't like scoring a goal across 90 minutes at home, so what necessarily were they going to be able to do to trouble United too much when they were away from home? And the answer was not really that much and especially after that Cavani goal, which we've got to speak about the build-up. The backwards header from Pogba, knowing that Cavani was there and hitting that on the volley as he did. Lovely way to get the goal and at that point, 3-0 up, game done already within six minutes, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that was reflected in the rest of the game really because United just kind of used the minimum amount of energy they needed to use to get that game over the line. Um, I'd like to i'd like to recount a number of really exciting moments from that game but there actually weren't any beyond beyond that goal and i mean i was trying to think of what, what i could say about this game before we started recording and the only thing i can think about think about a saying of, of the two ties the home and away ties against granada is it's better than beating and electing extra time by a single goal that's about all i can that's about all i can offer
0: well, one one thing I can say for the Cavani goal was I think that's the most serious a Manchester United player has taken a Europa League goal outside of the final in Stockholm a few years ago. Mm,
1: yeah, you're probably right. He takes all his goals seriously, doesn't he? I like a good probably I like does. a good striker who takes his goals seriously. Ru I can I can just think you remember Ruvan scoring his first United goal in the Charity Shield against Liverpool in the game that we lost when we were behind and celebrating like he just won the World Cup. And I think that's, oh yeah, but every goal is an angry
0: goal for Cavani and Van Nistelrooy, aren't you know, they? That's
1: how it should be. The goal, you know, that, that's how it should be. That goal goal scorers should be should be angry scorers because because it means that much, and there's an enormous relief when they when they when they do their job, you know. So I, I'm all for mm-hmm. it. I'm all for the for the scoring the fifth goal in the five nil win and running away like Marco Tardelli in 1982 um, <laughs> and diving into the crowd. I, I, I absolutely believe that should be the the standard centre-forward's um, response to any goal.
0: No, absolutely. Why the hell not? And with that goal as well coming so early as we mentioned, the tie was it was always going to be very, very difficult for Granada Gr- Gr- to get back into it from that point. And United were able to approach that game with a measure of calmness and control. And I guess... Apart from a couple of flashpoint moments here and there, you know, Pogba after that booking and he kept in the side on that night, which is always nice to see. Uh, he looked like he was playing on the edge of the game with Granada prodding him seemingly into getting that second booking. And given how card happy the referee was last week, I-, I was pleased to see him go off at time, If mm. if nothing, just to avoid the potential of him getting sent off. And I guess the only other thing was Solskjaer's insistence on starting what you would ostensibly call the big guns bar Rashford, right? You know, Pogba started, Fernandez started. And I guess maybe with a third goal in Spain last week, we could have avoided seeing them all start. But the fact that they were all present in that game, all right, uh, Pogba came off at half time, uh, Fernandez about 10, 15 minutes after that. And and Fred, obviously having played the 90 minutes against Spurs the previous weekend, seeing him start on Thursday and then play the first half again today, it's a lot of football for some players that have had a lot of football already over the last couple of months. So I was surprised to see him name that strong a lineup. Mm. Do you think it's like a lack of trust or just a desire to get the job done that Solskjaer, that the sort of forced Solskjaer to make those decisions in terms of the lineup?
1: I think that a lot of the narrative around Solskjaer in, in recent weeks or in the last few months has been particularly related to that comment he made about how he'd rather improve significantly across the league season than he would to to win an FA cup or, or a league cup or whatever because one signifies real progress towards back towards winning the the, the trophies that he wants to be winning rather than a, you know what can be a relatively fortunate win in the Cup. And he wasn't saying he doesn't want to win Cups. He was just saying that an FA Cup isn't going to save him like he didn't save Van Gaal. But improvement and moving towards being a competitive team at the top of the table will. But I do think that he, particularly as we've gone out of the FA Cup, I do think he feels a lot of pressure to actually win a trophy, which is understandable, really. I think if we'd still be in two, in two Cup competitions, if we got the semi today against Southampton and we'd had the Europa League in the week, I think we'd have seen a sort of weaker team, a much weaker team in the, in the second of those games and I think as well he's probably looking for looking ahead to the fact that we've finally, for the first time since about 1918, have got the week off before our next match.
0: I know, what a world!
1: I know it, it feels almost unreal doesn't it it feels strange to, to not be able to watch United for a week but I'm actually quite looking forward to it, not because I don't Enjoy watching United now, but it's just—it's almost nice just to take a break and, and appreciate that we're doing a lot better than we were. You know, we're a, we're a lot better football team. You know, when when you've when you're playing badly and you, you you're coming off the back of a really poor set of results or a really bad loss or whatever, sometimes that that an international break or whatever can feel interminable because you kind of want to put it right. But when you're winning, it's quite nice just to to, to have a. You know a few days and reflect on it as a, certainly for me as a fan um and it's nice to be able to think about about United being a bit of a force again, which I think we are. I think we got that one over Spurs and in in reality, that probably assured us of second place he he wanted to go strong just to make sure in the Europa League, knowing that what happens in the league after that isn't necessarily as important.
0: Yeah, I feel like he didn't want to leave anything to chance, right? No, and no, I, no. I think that was probably the wiser way to go about it. You know, I think United have frequently over the last however many years you want to call it now, should we say eight, just to be on the safe side, we've been we've criticised this team for taking their eye off the ball, um, and I don't think there was any. Necess- they, again, out of that first goal, that all the, the danger came out of the tie very quickly. So it was pleasing to see that happen, and it was a very. A professional is probably not the right word, but it was easy for United after that, really, wasn't it? And with mm. the own goal coming in the end from Alex Tellers' cross, who I thought actually did quite well deputising for Luke Shaw, who was suspended. I thought it was, and again, the mention for Axel too and Zebe, who got the most number of blocks in that game, uh, deputising for the suspended Harry Maguire. That was pleasing to see because, again, he's been primed for running this United team this season. and It's just not happened for him when he has come in, other than the, perhaps the PSG game away early on the Champions League. He's really struggled, so it was nice to see him get a good performance earlier on in midweek. We're we'll back to Italy next week with that tie against Rome and a reunion with Mikitarian and Chris Smalling. Now, Chris Smalling's missed 24 games so far this season with injuries, and Mikitarian got off the bench in a 3 1 defeat against Torino, which puts them, I think, seven points off top four. So they're not looking likely to challenge for the Champions League places, not necessarily having the best season, but again. It's a tie that... I mean, we looked at the run that Sevilla were on coming in towards the end of last season. I can't recall that they were in fantastic form and we still struggled to get past them. In the semi final. And that's now five semi finals that Solskjaer's gotten United into. United are doing well in cup competitions, both domestic and abroad. Mm. I think, you know, we've spoken about this so much over the last few weeks. United have got to take that next step and get to the final and then win it. You know, it's crucial, I think, for the development of this side to actually start winning things, especially because the bigger things that we really want to be competing for are slightly out of our grasp at the minute. Before we hit our break for this week, we'll have a quick chat about United Women, who uh, thrashed Burnley Women 6 0 earlier on this afternoon prior to united's home game against burnley in the fourth round of the vitality women's fa cup they'll be moving on to uh play lesser at home in a month's time these uh, rounds are very stretched apart it's a pretty straightforward game for united you know we scored very early on both millie turner and amy turner our centre backs got goals from corners which is obviously a rarity for us considering how much chaos is normally caused by corners that we're having to defend uh let's see uh ella Toon got a goal uh lucy staniforth opened her account for the club Kirsty hansen bagged a brace after the break uh there was a debut for born in the center of defense a couple other players got their debuts as well it was just a really nice afternoon you know there are two leagues difference between these two teams and it showed And not only that burnley have had their uh fairly scratched essentially for the entire season due to COVID restrictions so they've only played two games the entirety of 2021 you know it was the games to get them through to the fourth round and it really showed you know there was a big gap in quality and the ability to actually pass out United just strangled that game they strangled all the life out of that game and you know it could arguably have been even more comprehensive had they felt like it and, you know, given the way that the league season has gone, which I've said plenty of times, it would be really good to see us go on a really deep run in the FA Cup and try and bring home this trophy. It would be a huge for the club and indeed Casey Stony. Right, time for a quick break. We have a small favour to ask, friends. If you're enjoying the show, please help spread the word. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Acast or any podcast app you use. It's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners, and it would be hugely appreciated. Yes, the main event today, apart from the Super League chat, was United's 3-1 victory over Burnley. Now, it's been... I checked up on this record earlier on, and I'm not going to lie, it did take me a little while to go back through and figure out when the last time we did the double over Burnley was. 1976 was the last time we did the league double over Burnley.
1: It's a bit grim, isn't it? I suppose, I, I suppose we weren't in the same league as them for about 30 of those, but, but it's still a bit piss-ball that we haven't been in Old Trafford since 2015. But now we have, so Ha! Huh.
0: Yes. I mean, it did look like for quite a while after that game that we weren't going to do so. Uh, It was an interesting start, wasn't it? Dean Henderson coming out with a massive flap against Chris Wood. And thankfully, uh, Luke Shaw just barely was playing him offside. It was very, very close indeed in the first sort of 20 seconds. It wasn't his best game in goal today, was it?
1: No, I saw somebody say something interesting. and It it may or may not be right, but it, it, it seemed plausible. Is that Henderson, he's almost the type of keeper who needs action. And if he doesn't get action, he, he, he kind of goes out to try and find it. I That's a
0: terrible idea for a goalkeeper. It,
1: it is a terrible good and bad. I mean, I think we saw, we've seen in the last few games, that, that he's been far more willing to come off his line and actually play, sort of sweep up behind the defence than, than De Gea ever has been, which in, in, in some circumstances is really good. But what we saw today was perhaps more of a, a sort of impulsive side, didn't we? You know, that, that was the first... The first moment in the game where he was incredibly impulsive and came out where 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 we really shouldn't have, and there are a couple more occasions when when there were sort of three balls played through and he's come barrelling out of goal about thirty five forty yards from goal and just managed to gob it upfield um, when really didn't need to do that and it was probably a bad idea. But I'm sure you know decision making is something that can be taught to a degree, and I, I I'm sure that you know, Ollie or the goalkeeping coach or whoever will be sitting him down tomorrow whenever they're back in training and saying look these decisions weren't good decisions so i'm hoping that it's just a bit of a sort of over enthusiasm rather than a sort of fundamental issue with his game but yeah i mean there were two or three times in that get in that in, in the, that half particularly when he came barreling out when he shouldn't have done and that, that you know for well for the width of chris wood's little toe he <laughs> probably would have been behind
0: I mean, is that down to the centre-back partnership who just takes so long to react? I mean, he had to do that a couple of times last week and I'm more than grateful for him coming out and stopping situations before they become more hazardous. Do you think it's down to how slow Maguire and Lindelof are to recover or perhaps deal with those situations that he is doing that?
1: Maybe. I mean, if you're you're setting up to play Burnley, they're, they're they're one team that you can quite reasonably justify playing quite a high defensive line against because, you know, Chris Wood has got no pace. In theory, that lack of pace shouldn't matter too much. The problem is that we're not always um, particularly good at um, judging ourselves positionally when particularly from balls coming in from out wide or, or from set pieces. The defenders were in a reasonable line, but it, it's just such fine margins, isn't it? You know, Shaw was just a step behind the other three. It was almost enough to, to play him on side. We're just not very good at it. We're not very good at dealing with deep crosses and and sort of set piece positions and so i think burnley were always a team who were going to cause us problems in that in that regard and you're right henderson perhaps doesn't entirely trust his back four to to deal with that, that kind of cross. But I still think in that circumstance, you've got to do what you do. And then if, if it goes wrong and if, if if they score, then it's the, the centre-back's fault and not yours.
0: I mean, what I noticed in parts of that half in particular, like the first 20 minutes after that initial Henderson flap, was that United's movement was much better, at least in the start of games, than it's been for a while, right? I thought the fact that we're playing with that double pivot of uh, McFred and allowing Pogba to go on to the left and playing Bruno essentially as a third forward I think that works quite well there was a lot of movement, there was a lot of dovetailing and swapping positions and it really caught Burnley out on a few occasions you know there were some good opportunities in that first sort of period I remember Rashford flashing one across to wan and he was finding McTominay in the box but his shot was blocked there was a great cross from wan as well up to Pogba floated in and it was well saved but yeah I think again you notice how flat United look when they don't necessarily have the energy to keep stretching teams right and especially after that first 20 minutes United once United slowed down it was far too easy for Burnley to just sit back and absorb the pressure and the only time that United were able to cause any serious problems were, were when play was stretched you know we saw it a couple of occasions I think Rashford tried to find Bruno on a break and then got found by Bruno to get the ball back to him and flashed it across goal and Greenwood just seemingly goes over it doesn't he?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a really, it's a really funny half. In that, the problem is that United do need teams to lose their shape a bit to to really do damage. And and if there's one team that isn't going to chuck players forward and, and and sort of lose their their structure, then it's Burnley. And I think we saw we saw that throughout the first half. You know, United quite often got in reasonably good positions. And I think generally our transitioning is very good, but there just wasn't the the quality or the space. Um, in the final third to to really do them any damage, but I guess the one thing this this team has, which we keep showing again and again and again, is patience and not and not panicking when when they're struggling to break a team down.
0: And at least it was good to see in the early parts of the second half, United actually were able to take a game of the, scruff of the neck and score quite early on, right? So telling, and we already knew this, but it was somewhat disappointing to hear the fact that. Solskjaer's been saying this is the first time in ages that when I've asked Rashford how he's feeling he said good you know he's what a difficult season he's having and he's still skinning defenders and setting Mason Greenwood up for a tap-in beautiful piece of work to get into the penalty area really wise step over from Bruno as well either he got the shout or he just knew that Greenwood was there I'm going to go for the latter and Mason's in that sort of form at the minute where he just buries those chances isn't it really good finish confident finish and the, the a signifier of a player who's in a good reign of form at the minute obviously that then gets kind of blown away within about what a minute and a half when we can see a goal from a corner which was I mean you could basically point at half the team in that goal and from that corner and suggest that they were at least partly culpable for that I mean Juan you know, is behind Tarkovsky, which is obviously a bit mad considering the size difference. Maguire is just sort of flailing and hasn't got a proper idea of what he's doing. Luke Shaw's blocking Dean Henderson, so he hasn't necessarily got a good view of the contact. Just a pretty rubbish goal to concede. But again, that was the only way Burnley were going to score today, really, wasn't it? You know, he was going to take a set piece into the delivery in chaos and just Tarkovsky using enough of his weight and his physicality to make a little bit of space. The fact that there were two or three United players around him and he still got the header off was probably the most disappointing thing.
1: Yeah, I think um I think there are two mistakes that United made at that corner. One was sitting so deep on onto Henderson. If you watch, you know, Henderson's completely blocked in. There's there's one Burnley striker kind of standing on him and then four United players almost completely blocking his his moving in any direction. And so that kind of led to him being rooted to the floor. And I think the other is the risk you you have with with using zonal marking or mixed systems that require zonal marking is that The attacking player always has a run whereas quite often the defending player can be can be jumping from a standstill and i think that's almost what you saw with with maguire maguire was had the weight on his on the back of his feet he was at a standstill and he had to try and jump against the guy who's made a run and used his momentum to jump higher yeah i mean it's disappointing because maguire should be winning those kind of physical battles and i think he he's he actually struggled quite a lot today against Wood as well, just in terms of that physical that physical battle. But I wonder if we we are very very conscious of our own set piece weaknesses, and so we're overcompensating by almost being too negative and too sort of defensive in our in the way we we approach defending set pieces. So if you go back to the Everton game and Calvert Lewin's late header, you know United sorry late finish United did try to push out on that, but ultimately screwed up it ricocheted out and, and Calvert-Lewin scored so we've been burned by trying to play a high line for set pieces and we've, we've now been burned by trying to put four or five players within two yards of the line um, hmm. and it's still not worked and I think probably the issue is largely personnel and a bit of system but it's something that it's difficult to put right in a season when we've had no time coaching when when Ollie's had no time coaching but hopefully something that can be addressed over the summer, particularly if we buy a half-decent um, centre-back that's considerably better than Victor Lindelof.
0: Hmm, I mean, that that's the operative, isn't it? You know, we've often talked about what we view as the priority to this United side and not seeing that replicated or uh, acknowledged in the transfer business. So, and, you know, we talk about Eric Bailly, you know, I think Solskjaer has been quite, you know, magnanimous when it comes to mentioning him in the press and I'm guessing he's not necessarily going to want to chuck the player under the bus but if the reports about him wanting to leave United because he can't see enough opportunity are true then it does mean United need to go in, certainly need to go in for a centre-back and you know I'm I'm mumbling and ahhing about how much of United's problems at centre-back have been down to the fact that that trio of Lindelof and Maguire and De Gea, they just don't trust each other and how much that could potentially be improved by Henderson becoming permanent number one and how much of an upturn it could potentially take if we do actually get another partner in for Maguire. So I'm not totally sure on that. I kind of feel like... I don't know, you could, you could point out any of the poor results that we've had this season and you could say that we're still in need of a quality central defensive midfielder and certainly more attacking pace on the right wing or at least more options on the right wing because yeah. we're light on them. You know, it's not like Dan James has had a terrible season he scored five goals, but, you know... we're it's not necessarily panned out quite as highly as the would expect the coaching team is expected. And if Cavani goes, we absolutely have to be bringing in a forward. And then obviously we've got the other question of what do we do with Mason and Martial? Do we keep playing Mason coming in from the right where well, he's clearly developing and doing quite well? You know, he's man of the match today and for good reason. You know, obviously these are discussions for another time in terms of transfer business. But yeah, it is something that I do find myself thinking about in terms of what I would personally be prioritizing for United in terms of, you know, summer incomings. Anyway, moving into the end of that game, uh, I think there were periods during that second half where United did feel like they had a measure of control. But I guess when you're conceding the ball and giving away poor free kicks as we were in the sort of the last 10, 15 minutes, there is that flash of just wondering, are we going to see a repeat of, say, the Everton game? And it, this mm-hmm. is exactly the sort of scenario that Burnley were built to capitalise on. So to see us continue on that game, and I, you know, we, when we were speaking about this earlier on, you mentioned that you know United have turned into such a clutch side. I do feel less anxious in these sort of situations than I have been in typical years, and I don't know whether or not that's just a recency bias because we've you know we've had games like we had recently against Brighton where we pulled the result out of the fire after falling behind. But I do feel a bit more calm when it comes to the latter stages of games. At the minute, you just feel with the players that we've got on the pitch, a chance is going to prov- you know show itself, and then we're going to get someone on the end of it that's going to score. and Again, we got a little bit lucky today. You know, it comes from the corner. Burnley sat back really deep. Pogba finds Greenwood at the edge of the area. He does a little shimmy and balls fired in. Not too dissimilar from Marcus Rashford scoring the late winner against Wolves in stoppage time at the start of the year, right? It was a, it was great to see him have the confidence to take the shot on. Yes, he got lucky with the deflection, but I don't think United were undeserving of having the lead.
1: No, not at all. I think United It got up ahead of steam. I think particularly in those sort of last... 20, 25 minutes and Burnley still looked a little bit dangerous on the counter as he said they had their set pieces but United were clearly forcing the game more driving forward more and you know whilst there's a little bit of fortune in a deflected goal the goal comes about because the fact of the fact that Greenwood is incredibly good on both feet so defenders can't commit too heavily on on, on him going one way or the other. And he's also generally got a very, very clean, powerful shot. As the the former deflection meister himself, Frank Lampard will no doubt testify. If you if you you shoot enough with enough power and enough good positions, you're going to get you're going to get lucky. So it, you know it, there's an element of luck from it, but it's it's because of the fact that Burnley weren't able to close Greenwood down sufficiently, and because Greenwood's got enough quality in his shooting that very very difficult to defend. You know, United got a bit a bit lucky but I, I wasn't I mean even like sitting there sort of seven or eight minutes from the end I wasn't I wasn't panicking that United might not not get the winner because we've seen so often that we do do just about what's necessary. Um I can't I can't remember a United team since Fergie's time that doesn't panic about I mean I I am trying to think back to particularly some of the um Van Hall teams and also if you remember Mourinho's first season we had an absolutely ridiculous number of draws and every single game where we were drawing by about the hour mark everybody would start to panic everyone would start to get really jittery the crowd would get jittery the players would try and force things too much and not be able to summon up the quality to make the difference and so we dropped an incredible number of points just by not but just by not being able to turn draws into wins particularly at home but there doesn't. There's not quite the same feeling with this team. If they're if they're level or whatever with 15 minutes to go, they just keep playing the same way. There's no semblance that they're starting to panic. They just keep playing the same way and with the same sort of um, certainty. And I think that's in large part why we've been so effective coming back from behind and also scoring late important late goals. You know, if there's one if there's one thing that I could point to that. Ollie appears to have changed more than anything else at United it's the mentality I think mm.
0: no exactly and we finished that off with Cavani's 10th goal this season with the third goal in stoppage time as well which was a really nice move I mean again nice to see Bruno involved even though as I mentioned earlier on Twitter it's been two months since he scored a goal from open play and I guess you know even though he hasn't gotten a goal or an assist and i think the last two matches he's still being involved right he's still i think partially because he's finding his avenues towards goal just so crammed and he is reduced to taking shots from long range not that he's bad at that but obviously you've got less chance of scoring them from there i think it's nice to see him still picking out the right passes and still finding the right players in big moments and it was a good pass out to donny you know Billy even needs to take a touch. Looks up, finds Cavani meet metre out from goal. Tap in. 3-1. Lovely stuff. I'm wavering a little bit on my previous assertion that I wouldn't mind if Cavani stays or goes because 10 goals for a 34-year-old is not to me sniffing at. Anyway, 3-1. First time we've done a double over Burnley since the 70s, as mentioned. Leaves United 8 points off City and in exactly the same position that we were in in 2011-2012. Roles reversed, obviously, with us being 8 points behind as opposed to ahead. I mean, it's not happening, is it? (laughs) They would need to lose three games out of the next six and us to win six out of six for it to happen. Well, look,
1: City City don't have Tom Cleverley and 54-year-old Paul Scholes in midfield, so um, I think it's (laughs) it's considerably less likely than it was uh, when it happened to us.
0: Now, I mean, I think the... uh... The interesting thing is talking... You know, obviously, the quadruple has been looming large over the last couple of weeks slash months with City doing so well in domestic competitions and now into the semi-finals of the Champions League for the first time under Guardiola after that victory over Dortmund in midweek. I think... There's potentially a a chance that, given the fact that Guardiola's already won the FA Cup, what, twice in the League Cup, seemingly every season since he's been here. I think perhaps there's a chance that we might be overlooking what City's priorities are. Now, obviously, the league is always going to be priority for them. But what what did the United Arab, the UAE Royal Family buy, sorry, the Abu Dhabi Royal Family buy City for? to win the European Cup. That's the priority. And they got a step closer to that in midweek with victory in Germany. You know, they'll be prioritising that above anything else. So I wasn't surprised to see huge changes coming in for the FA Cup game. And I'm assuming they'll have a strong side out to face Spurs in the League Cup final next week. I think as much as we might all like to admit it, when you've won a competition like that over the last couple of years, and given the state of this season, it's not necessarily a huge surprise to see City not putting all their eggs in the domestic cup basket. Plus, as well, we keep we talk about the amount of changes City have got. They've still got such a stupidly talented squad that you could have fair bet that that team was going to beat Chelsea, regardless.
1: City should have played better, whichever eleven they put out. You know, even with the eleven they had out, they should have done better. Yeah, they they just played very very badly, and I think this whole thing again highlights just how incredible that treble winning team were. I mean, you know, United had a big squad by measures of the day, but a considerably smaller squad in terms of depth and quality, than City have now. And we've seen in consecutive years that Jurgen Klopp, with the Liverpool team that had the league wrapped up in early March, wasn't brave enough to go for the FA Cup and the League Cup um, on top of everything else. That City have kind of fallen to a, a team which, you know, they are, on, when, they're, when they're playing their best, better than. It just shows you what an incredible achievement it was. For United to 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 actually win that treble,
0: yeah, and it it's only ever gotten more difficult, hasn't it? As the years have gone on, you know, you've not seen it replicated by any other English club, you know. And City, you'd imagine that this this team now, the one that Guardiola has, is the one that's come closest to it because they're just such a steamroller and such a juggernaut of a team, you know. But it's Bayern, it's Inter, it's. Barcelona, What, twice is it they've won the treble in the period since we won it? But it's not an easy thing to do. You need so much to fall in line for you and you need such a competitive spirit in every single game that you play in order to make it happen. And it's no surprise to me that teams still fall short, especially in England, given the competitive nature of the Premier League and how physically draining games are that no teams managed to come close to it. (sighs) Um, speaking of big achievements uh, United managed to piss off the majority of their fan base once again (laughs) earlier on this evening with uh, sorry earlier on today with uh, the leak to the times originally uh, prior to kick off about the formation or potential formation of a European Super League which would feature ourselves City Arsenal Liverpool Spurs and Chelsea from the Premier League and Inter Milan AC Milan and Juventus from Serie A alongside Barcelona Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid from La Liga uh, Bayern Munich, I'm mean, guessing German clubs in togetherness given the fact that they're owned at least 49% I think it is by fans are against it and PSG I'm guessing are trying to stay in UEFA's good books at this moment uh, not in taking part at the moment but uh, unsurprising to see it met with widespread condemnation from across the footballing community
1: Yeah and I've, I know we spoke about this before we recorded and you know your your opinion was kind of these owners don't understand Football and, and, and what the fans want, and what what the the culture and the history is about. But I, I'm a bit more cynical about the motives here. I'm 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 pretty convinced that most of those involved know that this really really won't fly with a lot of their with their fans with their supporters. It still feels like a very well coordinated power play with regards to the changes that are being made to the Champions League. I'm also finding, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's it's a terrible idea. The whole thing is a terrible, terrible idea. But it's only marginally more terrible than than the way that the Champions League is heading under UEFA with these new ridiculous, god knows t- how many team leagues and teams playing ten league games. It's you know it's just a, <clears throat> another excuse to drag out more games and make more money out of European competition. You know if 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 anybody was in any of this for anything other than money, then we'd still have the European Cup as it was with United whoever playing against. Finn Harps or Skonto Riga in the, in the second or third round or whatever sure. and, and the Cup Winners Cup and the the, the UEFA Cup you know this, this ridiculous third tier European competition that's being brought in from next season for the teams that finish mid-table you know it's all about creaming as much money out of football and out of the clubs as, as absolutely as, as possible this, this Super League idea is just a few select very powerful and very annoying clubs take, taking it to the <laughs> end taking it to the end of the degree I mean ultimately this competition is the is the Champions League that the UEFA wish they could get away with but they know but, yeah. they, but they know they can't you know so nobody nobody holds the moral ground here moral high ground here except for I think the fans of the clubs involved you know we've had we've had Sky various commentators on Sky having a big old paddy about the whole thing and raging, but don't don't be mistaken. If 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 it happens, Sky will be throwing billions at getting the TV rights for that for that competition oh, God, in, yeah. in the UK. You know, it it just seems to me that there there are a lot of people in the various leagues, in the the various governing bodies, etc. Who who are who are just kicking up a stink because they're worried about the gravy train unhooking them and and and, and going somewhere else. Um, mm. the, the, only pe- the only people who have a right to be really, really fuming about this are the fans. Who I, I can't imagine the, the fans of any of the clubs involved in this in the more well, the majority of the fans of any of the clubs involved in this would would want this to happen in an, ever.
0: No, I must have put out a statement this evening. Uh, So I'll read it out to you. These proposals are completely unacceptable and will shock Manchester United fans as well as those of many other clubs. A Super League based on a closed shop of self-selected wealthy clubs goes against everything football and Manchester United should stand for. To bring forward these proposals without any fan consultation and in the midst of a global pandemic when people should be pulling together, not serving their own selfish interests, just adds insult to injury i'm fully on board with all of that you know yeah. ultimately i find it very difficult and this is i understand there's a level of what I, what about to, to what i'm saying here i fully agree with everything you've just said in terms of this would be a terrible thing for football in general and i do not think united should be a part of it i find it very difficult to listen to sky sports or bt sport talk about this and put fans at the front of the experience and say this is a terrible thing for football when we look at their impact and what they're asking fans to do in order to watch the game, especially Sky, like they have no moral high ground to be discussing what's going on within any European Super League, given how much of a hand they had in the formation and the Premier League's effect on the British game. Yes, it does a lot in terms of trickle-down economics to a certain degree, but it's not necessarily been for the benefit of the fans. You know, At that point, that was when English football's relationship with pay-per-view football started. And it's just gotten worse. You know it, that's yeah. not helped fans to any degree, which is why I find it really difficult to hear that. But in terms of United's position in this Super League, I'm not surprised at all. You know, when it when it comes down to it, the Glazers and Ed Woodward are more interested in United as a brand and a money making machine than they are as United as a club. It's just it, it's not surprising. It's disappointing considering that I did feel a bit more connected to United as a club and a community based on the things that we were doing during the initial stages of the pandemic in you know, the, the first couple of lockdowns, I felt like we were doing a lot of good in and around Manchester and the initiatives that we'd taken hold of in terms of helping to feed the local community and take out initiatives. It was, it was great. It was really nice to see us doing that stuff. It's not like we weren't doing it before, but it was getting so much more, you know, we we were hearing more about it and you could see it having a more tangible effect and positive effect on the local area. This just reminds you of how big United are in a global sense and the fact that our owners' visions and their needs and their wants for the club don't align with what we want. And that's not been the same for a long time. You know, We can't suddenly turn around and say, oh, this goes completely against what United have been about for the last 16 years since we got taken over. This is completely in line with almost everything we've been doing for the most yeah. part as a business since then. I still think it's mostly, as we said here, a power play by the ultra-rich or the biggest clubs in European football to get a bigger slice of the pie and potentially scupper UEFA's plans for the reforms now I know that they agreed to it on Friday but you know and it's not that they're not they're doing it for the wrong reasons personally because if anyone looking realistically at the plans for the Champions League to expand it and bring more teams and increase the number of Greek games is clearly not having a single thought about the quality of football and player welfare because those will take a massive hit if we push forward with the reforms and i don't think realistically most fans really want to see it not more games we might want a couple more teams but not more in that sense for each team you know i hope it will just get nipped in the bud and the outcry will be enough for the teams to turn face i think eventually if we're going to be realistic this is the way football's probably heading at some stage whether it's this decade or the next one eventually the push and the pull will be too hard for most clubs to resist. And I'll take the hits that come with maybe being kicked out of domestic cup competitions or league competitions. Because if we're looking at the proposals that were initially floated, I think Rob Harris uh, via the Associated Press floated some earlier on and he was talking about, it would be two uh, groups of 10 teams, 18 guaranteed group games playing twice for every single team. Then you've got quarterfinals for the top four on each side and then semifinals and then the final itself later on at some point in the season that's 18 games at least for the group stages which is half a premier league campaign in on of its own well close to anyway so you're essentially taking the league cup and the fa cup is completely redundant because there's no way a team can compete with the league and that super league and domestic competitions and be competitive in all of them so yeah it would be a massive hit to english top flight football and it would be a massive hit to the premier league and I can't, I can't blame them for being scared. Don't get me wrong. I understand completely because you're talking about their big cash cows essentially saying, yeah, we're done. We're going to go get some more money elsewhere. And there will be a lot of grandstanding and whataboutery potentially for the wrong reasons. But that shouldn't distract. And I'm trying not to distract from the key point here is that I don't want United to be a part of this. And I don't think any fan realistically really does you know it it does so much damage to the to the english game as a whole not just for what united are or what they have been and i would much rather see us stay where we are and potentially try and get reform in the champions league that doesn't take into account these this new set of ideas that's coming in in 2024 than try and break off with other big clubs because it 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 would be gross. It, I mean, I know this is where football's going. I know we shouldn't be surprised at the state of the game in general, considering what we've been seeing over the last 30, 40 years or whatever. But it's just disgusting. I don't want us to have any part in it.
1: No, but I mean, I don't feel quite as strongly about the UEFA reforms to the Champions League, but I, 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 just the same principles apply. You know, do I want to see United playing 18 or whatever group games in some enormous... European competition essentially playing as much as we have this season and as regularly as we have this season and, and what what is the what is the knock on of of 18 games more in one competition minimum 18 games more in one competition than a lot of the the other clubs will be playing against in the Premier League that surely can only have a negative impact on our performance in the, in the league you know as far as i'm concerned both of these ideas are, are monumentally shit one is slightly more shit than the other but the way that the that European football has been heading you know the changes that we've seen proposed in the last 12 months it's bad all round. I don't feel comfortable about whatever the outcome of this is because it's either going to be and I don't think it will happen but it's either going to be we get this super league or we get some stupid champions league that, that almost nobody gives a toss about anymore.
0: Mm, do you think that would be the point with which you for want of a better term, stop when it comes to United. Do you think that will cause a line in the sand for a lot of fans?
1: If United are playing in a Super League with no domestic competition, then I think you would see attendance to slump dramatically. Those those European games, those Champions League games against big clubs, they're a bonus, aren't they? They're very relatively rare matches in a, in a season which is dominated by your bread and butter, which is your league and your, your domestic cups. Yeah,
0: well they mean something because you earn them.
1: Well yeah, exactly. And also and also the fact that when we think about our footballing rivalries, our footballing rivalries all relate to domestic clubs. You know, I I'm I'm interested in United playing against Liverpool or City or Leeds or or Arsenal or whoever else we've we've grown to despise over the over a very, very long period of time. That's what brings the interest to any given season for me and the fan culture that's associated with that i don't think that anybody would get the same feeling for it um if we would if we were playing against inter milan or, or you know every other giant european club in in europe while a lot of the the other clubs are carrying on playing in the sort of bread and butter games that we we wish we were playing in i i just think i do think a lot of fans would just Think this and not bother. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I do. I do generally feel that's the case. And would I be enthused by the possibility of watching United play every other Wednesday against some European giant name in a competition? I'm really not that fussed about as winning. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really. Would you even want to carry on a podcast if we were doing that? I mean, what's the you know what what's the appeal? What's the appeal in that? You know, I like I like raving about Mourinho screwing Spurs or, <laughs> or you know another or such... about
0: getting done by Burnley again.
1: Yeah, another such another such um, parochial mm. things. You know, I don't get I don't get the same sense of belonging when I watch United in the Champions League. I want us to be in it and I want us to be competing and doing well in it, but. It's not what drives me as a football fan. It's a bonus. It's a really, it's a really nice bonus that shows that you're doing, you're doing reasonably well.
0: I mean, that's interesting because when I first started watching United, that was our start in the Champions League. So the Champions League has always been the competition that, in some ways, I've wanted to do well in all more than any other. You know, it, it's always been a huge priority for me as a United fan, and I hope that something, and it's it's something that I hope we do well in every single time we're in it. But having said that you know you would really diminish its appeal and the whole point of being in it if you're just playing the same set of teams constantly and the protection essentially from relegations for founder members for at least these 12 clubs and a couple more is just a way of preserving their status and making sure they get the same amount of money coming in every year and they would essentially never have to worry about qualifying for a competition like that ever again that's
1: almost what the champions league's become though hasn't it i mean united's ineptitude mm. has scuppered that to some degree but you know if you're looking at your real madrid's and your Bayerns ins and Barcelona's and whoever else they, they get in every season they get in absolutely every season without without question so it's it's almost become that anyway I mean perhaps it's perhaps it's a generational thing you know I grew up on the European Cup and the Cup Winners Cup and the UEFA Cup and it was clearly defined which teams would be in those competitions you could play anybody Forrest won the European Cup and in the next season had to play Liverpool in the first round of the next season's competition. You know, whereas sometimes you, you you could be drawn against some team of part-time farmers from some deep dark town in Kazakhstan or somewhere or, or, or USSR or whatever you know, and it, that was that was that was part of the allure of it. Everybody who was in it, had won their their domestic league. Everybody was equal, and you just played it out, and then one team at the end won it. That felt right. The Champions League doesn't feel right. The Champions League has always been and is and will always be a vehicle to funnel the most money they can to the biggest clubs in UEFA so for me, the European competition has already been solid to a degree and doesn't feel authentic anymore, it doesn't feel as special anymore as it used to I mean, we, we're talking about the treble or United winning the European Cup in Moscow, but I don't think I'll ever feel as good as I did about United winning the Cup Winners Cup against Barcelona in 1991, because we'd ha- we just had this straight knockout competition, we played some complete random team from hungary and we played wrexham and then and then we sort of gone up a level and we played polish team in front of some cows and 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 then we beat the dream the barcelona's dream team in the final and it felt it felt like something that was everyone went into it equal you could play anybody from anywhere in any conditions and then at the end of it the team won of the games won the competition and that just felt amazing and it's not quite the same now when all of the games are being funnelled towards these same big super clubs playing each other as many times as possible in a season and you adapt I mean don't get me wrong the, the, winning the Champions League is, 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 has been amazing absolutely amazing but it's not as somebody who grew up in a different generation it, it's never felt as pure as as the competitions we had till the early 90s so this just feels like another extension of it you know just those big clubs getting richer they got richer because of the Champions League
0: um, yeah yeah. I mean it's quarter to ten now they were supposed to release a statement at half nine this evening I wonder if the blowback has given them pause for thought but I guess we'll see how this plays out between now and our next game next week against Leeds at Ellen Road our first visit there for quite some time if memory serves uh, before we round off for the night because we've spoken quite a bit this evening quick score prediction for that game against Leeds next Sunday
1: 3-2 United
0: I'll be fine with that leading into that game against Roma um, yeah Given the fact that last time Leeds played, I mean, they're playing Liverpool tomorrow night. Imagine if they beat Liverpool and, sorry, City and then Liverpool in successive games.
1: Imagine if they beat City, Liverpool and United in successive games. Now, obviously that won't happen. Shut because, up. Obviously that won't happen because our team is now clutch. Of course, but, yeah. But that's yeah. been the
0: that's that's been the word of the episode. It has, it?
1: but it, but it, it, I suppose it's a vague possibility. Should we just have a day off from from being clutchness, from being Sergio Ramos mm. in football form, in football team form? <laughs>
0: well, so. imagine if uh, City lose to Villa in midweek, and then we have the chance to get the gap down to five points.
1: That would be some pressure, wouldn't it?
0: That would be something resembling pressure, yeah, which we haven't seen for a number of months. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. It's been a pleasure, mate. As always. Cheers man. Alright guys thank you very much for listening hope you've enjoyed this episode, I think we've got plenty to think about given all the news we've heard today and by all means if you want to discuss it with us you can do that very thing on Twitter, you can talk to me at Ewan like this, Rich at Rich Red Voices and the podcast itself at Red Voices M-U-F-C. In the meantime please don't forget if you're listening to us on Spotify or SoundCloud or the Apple Podcast app to leave us a review or a rating or a subscription that'd be absolutely fantastic, really helps to make sure that we get out to as many listeners as possible but in the meantime please make sure you're taking care of yourselves in the next week and we'll be back after after our date with Leeds United at Elland Road on Sunday. All the best. Bye.